Welcome to the PKF Camps podcast. We're excited to share this message with you from Surf City 2018. What was uh, what was the best part of the day? Tubing. Who went tubing? All right, all right. How was it out there? Who got dumped? Listen, I bet every single one of you got dumped. Nobody can pretend like I didn't, I didn't get knocked off. You lost your shorts. Dude, my man is obsessed with that word. He lost his shorts. He is short. He's looking for a shorty. I get it. I get it. There's a running theme. Have you, come here, come here. What's your name? Come up here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. I'm trying to help you out. Come here. Give me, get up here. I'm going to pick you up and drag you up here. Come here. This is my man. This is my boy. What's your name? I'm going to ask somebody who knows. Lenny, what's his name? Chef. Y'all call him Chef? All right, Chef. I like that. My man, Chef, I'm just putting it out there. Chef, what are some things that you enjoy? I know Chef enjoys soccer. Chef enjoys... Long walks on the beach. <laughs> chef enjoys Snapchat. And Chef enjoys shorties. <laughs> if you're a shorty out there, and you're looking at my boy Chef, you give him a holler, okay? I'm helping you out. Look at this man. Give him a spin, give him a spin. Give him a little spin. Okay. Get out of here, Chef. Chef, I, listen, I know you're turning a little red, but I'm telling you, I saw some shorties out there being like, you know, man, maybe we could go cook in his kitchen or something. Like, I know he's a chef. Like, what's up? Like, what do you make? Like, we're talking like a fettuccine Alfredo? What you cooking up, chef? Jeez. And that was KG's last time speaking at Surf City. As he played the dating game. This is crazy sauce. But, um, all right. Who remembers what we were talking about last night? Love. What is love, right? And um, who are you? What are you doing here? That's right. And uh, we were talking about all this week, we are going to talk about this idea of what is love, right? And Okay. Okay. All right. No, no, no. We're not doing this. We're not doing this. I love those tech guys back there. They like to mess with me. But, um, but seriously, though, uh, whenever we talk about this idea, and it's, it's love is such a foreign concept to so many people, we think it is what it is not, right? So it's a good idea to take a break and just take a look at what is love and how can we really... I'm not getting sucked in. I'm not getting sucked in. It's not happening. Not today, Roger Dodger. Not today. But anyways, seriously. Um, if I say, like, I love the Ninja Turtles, which I do love the Ninja Turtles. I, yeah, like, that's such a great sweatshirt. That's awesome. I love the Ninja Turtles. 
and I say I love my mom, right? Do you, is there a difference? Can you understand that just through that one word? Or do you think we've, we've, we've kind of, I really, well, oh, Kathy Grant, I love you so much, but the Ninja Turtles are a close second, I guess. But anyways, you can't really tell the difference. So when we break this idea down of what is love, um, bump it, 30-second dance break. Let's go! <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Do we get that out of our system? Do you remember what the definition of love from last night was? It came from the book of 1 John chapter 4. And it says this. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the definition of love. That in our brokenness, in our rebellion, in our fight, in our broken struggle to, to, to comprehend this world, and as we turned our backs on God, he never turned his backs on us. And he made a way for us to come back to him. And it involved his son, Jesus Christ. So God sent Jesus to be an atoning sacrifice. What does the word atoning mean? If you need to atone for something. Any English people out there, English majors? What do you got, Damon? What's that? To pay for. Bingo. To pay for. Because listen, in that rebellion, right, we racked up a debt. We racked up something that we cannot pay for. I mean, the truth of the matter is that we can, but it kind of ends there. See, we can pay for it, and it involves our own death. It involves our own destruction. It involves our own um, just kind of crumbling. But if we don't want that to be the end, then we can accept the free gift of Jesus Christ. When he says, I'll pay for that. So in the beginning, God created the world. He made everything, right? Took a, science a little while to catch up to that, you know, but, um, but truly, I, this is one of my favorite topics. So if you're a science person out there, come grab me at lunch or something like that. We will chat about how, how science and God do not fight one another, but in fact make perfect sense and perfect harmony. When the Bible says that God created the world, it makes sense scientifically as well, right? We do not get where we are at without an intelligent design, without intelligent creator, Right, even uh, even Stephen Hawking in his in his later years has come to the conclusion that that the universe is too perfect. One of the things that convinced him of that is that if the universe, because the universe is expanding, right, and if the universe was expanding slight millimeters faster than it is right now, it would blow itself out of gravity. Gravity would not be able to contain it; it would blow itself out. And if it was expanding millimeters slower 
the pull of gravity would have sucked it back in. It has to be perfect. And even Hawking has come to the conclusion that 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 looks like intelligent design. So God creates everything. And he looks down, he's like, that's good. And he makes like plants, he's like, that's cool, I like that a lot. He makes like animals, he's like, yeah, they're pretty cool and furry and, and fuzzy. And, uh, and then he makes, you know, us. And we're the only thing that he makes in his very image. He makes to, 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 to represent him. And he says, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. But us being made in that image, man, we have free will. We have strong heads. We get stubborn. And even the the very first created beings got to a point where they said, you know what, God, thanks for all this, but I'm out. Peace. And I like to say this. if, If everybody from Adam and Eve all the way up to KG had never sinned, had never turned away from God, I'm sure I would be the first. I don't want you guys to get wrapped up in this idea that if only Adam and Eve didn't eat that stupid apple, then man, we'd be so good. No, man, my heart is so rebellious. I know your hearts are so rebellious. We turn our back on God. And out of that, he calls us home again and again and again. And he does that through Jesus Christ. He sends his son to be born as a child under dangerous circumstances. Jesus grows up. Jesus learns how to walk, learns how to talk. He goes through the education system. He lives his life as as, as one of us. He goes through the same pains, struggles, things that you and I go through. Joseph, his his earthly dad, we don't hear much about him after the the, the Christmas story, so it's, it's safe to assume, and a lot of historians do, that Joseph died at some point along the way. Jesus went through the death of his earthly father and dealt with that. And and we know that him and his father probably had a good relationship because guess what? Jesus was a builder just like Joseph. They probably spent time together. And he learned from him. He went through that pain. And then there came a time when Jesus decided to start his ministry. It was time. Everything was in alignment. And Jesus started to redefine the word he started to redefine the word love. See, the culture that Jesus was in is very similar to ours. They had crazy, banana-nana ideas about what love is, about what power is, about what submission is, about who God is or isn't. Jesus came in a time that was just as confused as we are now. It just looked a little bit different. But don't be, don't be surprised to know that it was very similar as well. People had mixed up ideas of who God is and of what love is. And then here comes this dude, Jesus. He starts teaching. He's this huge following, starts to follow after him. And he starts to flip things on their script. He starts to flip things on their head, right? He says, you've heard it this way, but I'm gonna tell you this way. He says, I know that you've heard, you know, to, uh, to, to hate your enemies, but I'm gonna tell you this. You need to love your enemies. You need to pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, listen, man, if somebody comes up and strikes you on the cheek, then you should turn and offer him the other one as well. I'm teaching you how to love. I'm teaching you how to be like me, how to be like God. And if any one of you here thinks that you've taken more abuse, that you've taken more slander, and you've taken more challenge, that you've taken more crap thrown at you than God, crazy thought. God lives in a world that spits in his face every day, and yet God continues to love us. 
God continues to give us the very breath that we breathe. And God still sent his son. There was a time when some of the religious leaders, and they were the ones who had it the most backwards, right? But they came to, uh, to Jesus, all right? And they had this woman with them, right? It says this, at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach him. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Now they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. And again, he stooped down and began writing on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. But neither I, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. As I was just reading that story, I, I got overwhelmed a little bit. Can you picture what's going on here? These dudes, they hate Jesus so much because of him challenging their authority, flipping the script, telling, you know, teaching these new things, turning over their heads, right? And, uh, and they hate him. They want to trap him. And so they hear about this woman who's, who's committing adultery. She's sleeping with somebody who is not her husband. And this is what it says. You got to come sometimes read kind of very intentionally in the script for the Bible because of the way it's written, the way it's translated. It says things very bluntly, but it says this, that she was caught in the act of adultery and they brought her and made her stand in front of everybody. Jesus was just teaching and there's this large crowd sitting there and this woman, you can only imagine, use your imagination, what is she wearing? How is she dressed? Is she wearing anything? Did they give her at least a, a cloth or, or a blanket to cover herself? What is going on? She is literally was in the act when a group of men storm into her house, grab her up and take her and put her in front of a large crowd, bigger than you in this room. But imagine her standing right there as she tries to cover up her shame, tries to cover up her nakedness. And they stand there and they say, this woman has sinned. We demand that she be put to death. Now, what do you say? Jesus looks at this woman, and he's so filled with love for her, with love for us, and he stoops on the ground, and he starts to write. We don't know what he wrote. We don't know. I can't wait to get to heaven and find out. Some of the really great theologians, people way smarter than me, um, have broke down and they think that a possibility is that he began to write out the sins of the people who had come to condemn her. And he one by one was writing their sins. That's not biblical, 
when I think about that. And they kept questioning him. Jesus, what should we do? Hey, you're this great teacher. Hey, you're the one everybody's following, right? Hey, there's something special about you. Tell us what we're gonna do with her. What are we gonna do with her? What are we gonna do with her? As this woman shivers and stands there trying to cover herself in her brokenness. And Jesus says, has any of you been sinless in your life? Have any of you been completely perfect or have some of you sinned? He says, in fact, if anyone here is sinless, go ahead and throw the first stone. Go ahead and pick up a stone and you can be the first to throw it. They're shocked. Nobody's taught like this. Nobody's said this to them. And one by one, they slowly leave. And the Bible says, all of a sudden, it's only Jesus and this woman. It is only Jesus and this woman standing there until only Jesus was left. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus loved her enough to save her. Jesus loved her enough to, 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 to stand in front of her. Jesus loved her enough to, to be you know, the one that, that was gonna stand in the gap for her. But hear this, he also loved her enough to call her into something better. Listen, we all know adultery is not bad. Or sorry, that's terrible. That was like the worst thing I've ever said in my life. <laughs> we can get that, Roger, we can get, we can get that in post, right? Cut that out. Yeah, let's get that in post. Hey, we all know everybody likes a little adultery now and then, right? That is terrible. I feel like I just completely ruined where I was heading. Ugh. Hold on. We all know. <laughs> like, well. We all, we all know that adultery is bad, right? <laughs> we do. Listen, you don't have to be a Christian to understand that. You don't have to be religious to understand that. You don't have to, to, uh, to be born into a, a religious culture or anything like that to understand that sleeping with somebody who is not your wife is not morally acceptable. It's not okay. What? Or, yeah, exactly. Or sleeping with somebody who's not your husband. <laughs> Chef... If I, it means if I find you a shorty, chef, you only get one, okay? That's what it means. I'm putting, my, I'm putting myself out there for you at this point. But you're not looking good, man. All these shorties are like, he doesn't understand that? No, I'm not hanging with that. Jeez. I got you. Don't worry. I got you. Jeez. Just chop all this, Raj, and just, <laughs> this is terrible. But we all know that, it's easy. And these people just wanted to, to pick this one woman and make a point out of her, make an example. And Jesus wasn't about that. There's another point in John 11, and um, I just wanna read you the story, and, uh, and just sit where you are, and just listen. 
Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. See, Jesus and Lazarus were friends. Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant a natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us go, that we may die with him. See, the, the disciples of Jesus think that they're heading into an area where Jesus is going to get killed. He had already been kind of um, assaulted by the, the uh, Jews there um, for, again, this radical teaching. And they're just like, dude, Jesus is talking crazy talk again, but I guess we got to go, right? And they're like, I guess we're going to go die too. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever believes or whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping 
And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who have opened the eyes of the blind man had kept this man from dying? See, Jesus is coming to this town. Everybody's all mourning and crazy. And if you've ever been around a funeral, around a recent death, then you know what that's like. Everybody's mourning differently. Everybody's crying differently. Everybody's feeling differently. There's some who are stone-faced. There are some who are just weeping and bawling. There are some who are angry. I have a problem. I get angry. That's, that's one of my things I carry. And these Jews, they say, listen, why is Jesus crying? Look at him. Listen, this is the dude who healed people. This is the dude who, who healed blind men. What, he couldn't have come and kept Lazarus from dying? Why did Jesus cry? Jesus cries because he stepped into our brokenness. We don't have a God that sits far, far, far away and looks down at us and points and says, go do this, go do that. Try to do this better. Try to do this stronger. No, we have a God who stepped into our brokenness. Became one of us and stepped into it with us. Stepped into our garbage. Stepped into our funerals. Stepped into our abuse. Stepped into our addictions. Stepped into the things that we struggle with. He knows what it's like and that's why Jesus cries. Because he loves us so much. And it literally pains him to see us like that. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there's, there's a bad odor, for he has been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you are always with me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his, fan, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. We are a people wrapped in grave clothes. They look differently for all of us. Some of us who have found Jesus have had our grave clothes slowly removed as he works in us, as he strips away that death, as he strips away that odor. Some of us are still sitting here wrapped tightly in our own death. I fear for you. My heart hurts for you. I know that there is only one person in this entire world who has the power over death and over life. Only one person can say, don't you know I am the resurrection. You're looking for resurrection. You're looking for life after death. Guess what? That's who I am. 
And anybody who comes to me, I can give that to you. Jesus was transforming the world. And as he looks around in this room, I wonder if I had the eyes of Jesus, if I could see the way that he sees, I wonder what those death, those death clothes looks like, those burial clothes. It's different for all of us. Again, it's, 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 it's depression, it's anxiety, it's divorce in your families, it's fighting amongst your siblings, it's addiction to drugs, it's addiction to alcohol, it's addiction to partying, it's addiction to sex, it's addiction to pornography. It's things that will slowly choke you out. All the while as you comfortably lay in your grave. See, the grave's comfortable, man. You can lay there. It's comfortable. Because we know it. But if we're listening, if we're listening, Jesus is calling out to us. He's calling you by name. And he's saying it's time to come out. Because just like that woman who was made to stand publicly in front of people, who was berated, who was hated, who was ashamed, Jesus stands in front of her the same way he stands in front of us. He doesn't want that for us. And the same way he told her, listen, I've taken care of the condemnation. I've taken care of those who want to accuse you. Now you and I have business. Now you and I are going to walk into something greater. We're going to have cabin time out on the dunes tonight after some craziness. No program's not mad at me. Um, we're going to the dunes. Yippee. You already knew that. You should have dressed warmly. But we have a chance to go out there. We have a chance to sit down and seriously stare up at God's creation. You have an opportunity to get real. You have an opportunity to get serious. If it's stuff that you don't feel comfortable talking about in front of your whole group, I know for a fact that your leaders would step away with you. If there's things going on in your life that you have no control over, that you feel lost, that you feel like you just cannot rein in, listen, I'd be the first to raise my hand and tell you I've been there. I've been there. And Jesus is still working on me. And sometimes I cling tightly to some of those, some of those death clothes. But Jesus slowly works on me and says, I'll take that. It's okay. I'm gonna take that. Because you and I have business to do. You and I have great things to do. And, um, and so as you go out tonight, as we play some amazing games, as we get to have some amazing fun out there, take a second to really ask yourself, what is that smell of death on me? And how can I get rid of it? Let me pray for you guys. Father God, we just praise you and we thank you, Lord, because you truly are the Lord above burial cloths, Father. You removed your own so that you can remove ours. Father, when you say that you are the resurrection, you do not take that lightly. You claim it boldly, and you claim it for us as well. Father, Jesus Christ says that he is the only one who has the power to lay down his life and also to pick it back up again. Lord, we only have the power to lay it down. We can choose to lay it down on our own and rest comfortably in our graves, Father, or we can choose to lay down our lives at the foot of Jesus, at the foot 
of the cross. And then if we are buried with him, then we are also resurrected with him. Father, you are begging us to come out of our graves. You are begging us to come out of our tombs. You want to show us what life looks like when we remove the wraps from our head, when we remove the cloths that just reek of death. Because, Father, you not only know life, but you are life itself. And you are calling us into life with you. I thank you and I praise you and I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to audio recorded at Surf City 2018. Surf City is a ministry of the Pittsburgh Kids Foundation. For more information, visit us online at pkfcamps.org or find us on Instagram at pkfcamps.